Or have you ever read a book and thought, how cool would it be if I could meet the author? I know I have. Well, on today's show, my dream came true. He is none other than Stephen K. Scott, an international speaker on the subject of personal and professional achievements and the application of biblical wisdom and Jesus' teaching to every area of your life. The best-selling author of one of my favorite books, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived, which is King Solomon's Wisdom, straight out of Proverbs, as well as The Greatest Words Ever Spoken, which was Jesus' words, (laughs) categorized in subjects. So those are just to name a few. But you guys, Stephen used this wisdom that he found in the Bible to start and build companies that achieve billions in sales. Come on, go with me. This is Erica, host of Amazing Grace Talk, the podcast, a show that will explore how God has pursued everyday people who have experienced a radical encounter with His unconditional love. These are the stories that remind us why God's grace is amazing. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Amazing Grace Talk podcast. My name is Erica Seymour Williamson, and I'm so excited to share um, a guest that is somebody that I have admired and respected for many, many years, Stephen K. Scott, and so grateful that you've agreed to be on this podcast today. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. This is an honor. It really is. I know, like, you know, you're a person. I get it. But it's just an honor when you have admired and followed someone for a long time. It's so much fun. And I'm excited for my listeners to be able to know you a little better and understand uh, why I love you so much and why I followed you. So I know you're going to laugh because you're going to say, oh, that story again. Could you start out and tell us a story about nine jobs lost and and six years? And could you tell us how you started out? You bet. Um, I graduated from college a long time ago in 1970. I graduated with a degree uh, in marketing, and I thought I was going to be real you know, big in advertising and everything. And yes, uh, nobody wanted to hire me because I had no experience. And I finally got my first job, lost it in six months. Then I got a second job, another six months, third job, nine months. Uh, all in all, I lost nine jobs in six years. Wow. And I just couldn't succeed no matter how hard I tried. And I really tried because uh, in the beginning, I had a wife and a baby. And uh, by the end, I had a wife and two children, and I couldn't even earn enough to pay the rent. I was pretty discouraged. I had just lost job number five, and my best friend uh, was visiting me from Chicago. His name is Gary Smalley, for those of you that know Gary. Yes. And I said, Gary, I don't get it. I just can't succeed. I'm not stupid. I have a good IQ. I understand my craft, which is marketing. And I'm not lazy. I'm first in, last out at every uh, job that I go to, even when it's a big corporation. And yet I can't succeed. And he said, let me pray about it. Next morning he comes in and he goes, I've got the answer. And I'm real ADD. So I said, the answer to what? And he said, you know the problem, how you can succeed. I said, well, tell me. And he said, how would you like to be wiser than all your bosses. And I said, yeah, right. I was 26 years old. He said, no, 
there's something you can do if you do it for two years. In two years, you'll be wiser than all your bosses. And in five years, you'll probably be a millionaire. And that really made me laugh because the only reason we had breakfast that day is two women from a Bible study I taught had left groceries on our front doorstep. I didn't even have grocery money. Oh, and no. Said if I do something for two years, I would be a millionaire in five years. And uh, well, it turned out he was wrong. I was a millionaire in two and a half years. So wow. what he told me really worked. And uh, it wasn't about the money. It was about achieving and achieving success, extraordinary success. So I said, what do I do? And he said, 31 chapters in Proverbs, 31 days of the month. Every day, read the chapter of the day with pencil and paper in hand and write <laughs> down the wisdom and insights you get and begin to apply those to your work. So I started doing that. In the next 18 months, um, I went through Proverbs about 18 times, wow. and I found these incredible strategies, 15 strategies, and I applied them to job number nine. I had gone through job six, seven, and eight during the 18 months, and wow. on job number nine, these strategies came together in a nothing position. I was in the very lowest position in the marketing department of a big catalog company, but I doubled their sales from 30 million to 60 million in the four months that I was there by using these strategies. And so uh, a friend offered to back me in my own business. I would move back to Philadelphia from Phoenix, Arizona, and we'd start a little TV marketing company using the same strategies I had just used. We did. And five months later, our little company was selling a million dollars in product sales per week. That and is just a mate, a week. A week in 1976, uh, when a dollar was worth about three to four dollars today, what had happened is I had found a breakthrough product. Pat Boone had introduced me to a product. Pat and his daughter Debbie, who was 19 at the time, yeah, the commercial for me, and the rest is history. Well, from that point on. I looked for breakthrough products. A breakthrough is a product that can do something that nothing else in the world can do as effectively, efficiently, or economically. And I would find a breakthrough, and then I would find a celebrity that I thought would have a passion for that product. Yeah. And I recruited a celebrity. And we, by the time I retired 35 years later, we had used 35 celebrities. Uh, we had done billions of dollars in sales in about uh, two dozen different industries or businesses. And we had 90, I think we ended up with 93 celebrities that we had under contract. Yeah. Uh, one we're best known for, because it's been on the air for 27 years every week, is Chuck Norris and Christy Brinkley on the Total Chip piece of yeah. fitness equipment. I have but, one. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, thank you. You helped put my kids through college. Uh, <clears throat> so that's kind of what I did. God really blessed it. And my focus was never on really trying to get rich because Proverbs does say, if you chase after wealth, it'll take up wings like an eagle and fly off into the heavens. Mm. But he also said, in all labor, there is profit. So my focus was on my labor, what I did. How yeah. do I take it to a degree of extraordinary outcomes that uh, nobody else achieves? And that's where the strategies from Proverbs came in. And I was able to do that. 
And we ended up, by the time I retired, we had generated over 40 million phone calls from people wanting to order our products. You know, the Lord really blessed it, but it was really from the Lord. What I, what I haven't mentioned is until I was 16 years old, uh, I didn't believe in God. I wanted to believe in God, but nobody could answer my logical questions. And at 16, a scientist was kind enough to give me the book, Mere Christianity. Yes. And while I read Mere Christianity, uh, I read it that night, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. And on Wednesday night, I got to the chapter called The Shocking Alternative. Oh, and wow. With that chapter, I became fully persuaded that Jesus Christ was really who he claimed to be. And I gave him my life. That was in 1964. So I've had 59 years of getting to know Christ. My focus today of all the books, my after uh, Richest Man Who Ever Lived came out in 06, it was a worldwide bestseller. Yes. So the president of Random House said they'd publish anything I write. So I told him, I said, well, my focus in my life uh, is the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. So all my future books will be on that. So I've written about eight or nine books on the life and teachings of Christ, but I've got about six more to go. But uh, that's kind of my background. That's amazing. I want to know a little bit more detail on how you read those principles. You read Proverbs. And you say you took notes, and then all of a sudden, this success came. For example, uh, you know, we all try to achieve a success on our own. And one of the things Proverbs says, it says, uh, without counsel, you will fail. But in a multitude of counselors, there's success. Yes. And without counsel, you will fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. So. Right. It implies the need. And of course, he says in Ecclesiastes, the threefold cord is not easily broken. Uh, he really pushed the need for effective partnering. Okay. And as I began to study the stories of other people who had achieved the, their impossible dreams, none of them did it by themselves. They all yeah. did it through effective partnering. But about 90% of all partnerships are ineffective. So all they do is accelerate failure. Well, Solomon tells us how to effectively partner. And when we effectively partner, instead of accelerating failure, it accelerates success and it takes the ceiling off of opportunity. It okay. literally, in fact, Donald Trump, when he read my first book in 1996, uh, he said, Steve Scott's uncanny insights and strategies are so simple and easily applied. I believe they can empower anyone from a college student to a small business owner to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company to achieve levels of success. And here it comes. They haven't yet dreamed of. You see, when you use these strategies, it destroys the box that your brain, your mind, your attitudes are in. So you no yes. longer have a limit. Yes. Partnering is one of those. You cannot achieve ex nobody in history. Nobody has ever achieved extraordinary outcomes without effectively partnering. People say, well, Jesus did. Well, excuse me, who was his mentor? <laughs> well, God, the father, who was his partner in all things? He said, everything I do, I do to please my father. I do exactly what pleases him. And he says, everything I say, my father commanded me to say and how to say it. That's a partnership. Okay. Yeah. 
Later, he partnered with his 12 disciples. And that, you would have thought, was an ineffective partnership because until the Holy Spirit came, they were basically, honestly, they didn't do much. A little bit, but not much. They struggled right. with with faith and everything else. Then the Holy Spirit came and everything changed. Yeah. Well, the Holy Spirit's a partner. You see, right. a partner is anybody that we listen to, that we seek counsel from, that we take their advice seriously and we evaluate. Yeah. So Solomon not only taught us how to effectively be a partner, he, he gave us uh, seven red flags that we can use to avoid the wrong kind of partner. Okay. Anytime we partner with anybody who falls in one of those seven red flags, uh, we're doomed to failure. Uh, in fact, if you see two of those flags in one person, that a man, then you'll, that man, if he's dating your daughter, run away, run away, run away, because he will become a domestic abuser if he's got these two particular problems that Solomon yes. calls out. So, Anyway, partnering is just one of the 15 strategies, but it's one that's critical. You cannot achieve extraordinary outcomes on your own. Nobody ever has. Not uh, Gates, not uh, Zuckerman, nobody. Nobody, yeah. not even Thomas Edison, who was the most successful businessman in history when measured for home runs because he creatively persevered through more failures to achieve more successes than any businessman in history. Yeah. And uh, so we teach one of the strategies is called creative persistence. And how do I creatively persist through failure uh, so that I can use those failures as springboards to achieve success? Okay. Well, and I, I can attest to the the partnering and, you know, of course, getting closer with God and, and asking the Holy Spirit and really being guided by by that. But at this also, I had started a ministry in 2016 out of a lot of trauma and pain that I had gone through and started doing amazing grace retreats. Things evolved and I, I did those for many years and then it, it grew. But what happened was about a year and a half ago, I met someone named Shelly Jane and at our church. And people kept asking her, Have you met Erica? And they were doing the vice versa. And when we finally met, we have just our ministry has grown and it's about to ignite. And I keep telling her, I'm like, we're building an empire here. So get ready. And and we're about to even, we're in the process now of our part of our ministry as a nonprofit and it's just going like crazy. And so what's neat is I've done, I love vision boards. I've done vision mapping. I've done those things that you teach. And I told her she's never done that before. And I said, Hey, when we get together, when I come back to Texas, we're going to get our board members and some other people that believe in us. And we're going to get a poster board for each because we've got about eight places in our ministry that we're growing. And I said, we're going to vision map all of those and all of those people coming together. I mean, it gives me chills to think that ever since she and I partnered together, it's just elevated. That's what effective partnering does. Are you needing a roof inspection? Think you may have hail damage? Wondering if insurance will cover it? or just looking for some beautiful seamless gutters? If so, and you are located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, then give Blue Diamond Roofing and Construction a call at 469-360-1578 for your free consultation. Thank you for sharing that more detail. Those are in the book then. So how did you come about to uh, the Joseph Principles? 
Well, the Joseph principles, what what all of my focus has been since 2006 mm-hmm. has been the life and teachings of Christ. Okay. And if you distill that down, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Religion was the old wine skin, yeah. living, trying to successfully live under the law was the old wine. He came with a new wine skin. The new wine skin is intimacy with God. Yes. And the new wine is doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me, my father will love and I too will love. And I'll reveal myself to him. He said, uh, after he gives the, the most scary warning to be, professing believers contained in scripture is Matthew 7, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter. For many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not work many wondrous works in your name? And here it comes. And I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Now, of course, he knew about them. He knows everything they've done. He's God. But when he says knew, that's the the, the Greek word that's used there is the word for intimacy, for union, intimate union. We never came into an intimate union. And that verse used to scare the crud out of me. And if it doesn't scare a believer, then you question your faith, whether or not you're really a believer, because it should scare you. It's Jesus himself saying that. But what I didn't see until 2006 was what followed it. What followed it was immediately after he says that, he says, therefore. So the whole reason he gives this terrifying glimpse of the judgment of professing believers who don't make it is what he's about to say. Therefore, he who has, the he who hears, these sayings of mine, these words of mine, and does them, I'll liken him, in comparison to the ones he just talked about, to the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, but the house stood firm, for it was built, what? On the rock. And for the first time in my life in 2006, I realized the rock here is not Jesus Christ. Here in this analogy, according to Christ, not according to Steve Scott, the rock is hearing what he said and by faith empowered by grace, doing what he said. Mm. And then to make sure we don't screw that up, he goes on and say, and he who hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them, I'll liken him to the foolish man who built his house on the sand. So you have two foundations, rock and sand, rock, hearing what Jesus said and doing it sand, hearing what he said, and not doing it. I will tell you today, the vast majority of professing Christians I have met, including Christian leaders, including pastors, don't know what Jesus said. They think he gave three commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, mind, and soul, your neighbor as yourself, and a new commandment I give unto you that love one another as I've loved you. No, He gave 153 commands that I've counted, and I probably missed a number of those. uh, And we don't know what he said. And yet that, as you'll discover in the Joseph Principles, that's God's love language. Uh, You know, I know my love language. And my love language is words of affirmation. 
And when my wife discovered my love language, man, everything changed. It was so wonderful what happened to our relationship once she realized her love language is all five. So I, you know, the good news is I can't miss. I can hit any. Yeah. The bad news is if I don't use at least one of them, I'm in trouble. So according to Christ, God's love language is hearing what the son said and doing it. If you want to love God the way he wants to be loved, yes, you listen to his son and you do what he says. Yeah. That's That was revealed to the disciples at the Last Supper in John 14, 21 through 24. And, uh, and so there's a whole chapter in the Joseph Principle on God's love language. And the neat thing about that is, is so many men kind of halfway give up loving God because they don't have feelings. And they've always thought love was a feeling. Yeah. It's not. You love the Father and the Son by hearing what the Son said and doing it. Any man can go grocery shopping successfully if his wife gives him a list. <laughs> okay? We right. can hit everything on the list. But send us to the grocery store without a list and just say, well, you bring home what we need. Bring home some food. <laughs> I mean, you, you're driving him crazy, right? Well, God said, here's what it says in John 14, 21. I've already referenced it, but he said, uh, he who has my commands, this is Jesus speaking, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me, my father will love, and I too will love, and I'll reveal myself, manifest myself, show myself as my heart, my mind to him. Judas not Iscariot said unto him, Lord, how are you going to uh, reveal yourself to us. What about the world? Jesus said, now he broadens it. He says, anyone. So that's me. That's the lady in the nursing home that can barely talk. That's the little child who, who's four or five years old. Anyone who has my teachings, now he uses the word teachings, and does them, my father will love him, and we will come to him, and in the Greek, it's make our continual dwelling place with him. So God's love language is for us to hear the Son and simply do what he says. Now, what he says a lot of times is hard things. How do I love my enemy? The good news is it's not with feelings. Yeah. I have a couple people that really hate me, that would love to Honestly, they, it'd be the happiest day of their life they read that I got hit by a car and died. How do I love them? Well, I don't go up to them and, and grab yeah. them, you know, but what I do, I pray for their redemption. Yes. They're not, they're not believers. And I pray and I can do that. What's the greatest gift we could ever give anybody is the gospel and to see them redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so I pray for that for them and I pray it sincerely. Okay, that's loving my enemy. It has nothing to do with feeling. When you get into the chapter in Joseph Principles on forgiveness, people think forgiveness is an emotion. It's a feeling. You know, uh, you see people who've had terrible things happen to them, and they'll say, I can never forgive that person. How can I forgive somebody that was drunk driving and killed my child? How can I forget somebody that murdered my daughter, her own husband? How could I Right. And I know right. people, I know someone whose daughter was murdered by her husband. I yeah. know somebody whose son was killed in a car wreck. I know people who've had these terrible tragedies 
And when we realize what true forgiveness is mm-hmm. and what the source of that is, then we can forgive. True forgiveness has nothing to do with emotions, has nothing to do with feelings. It literally, in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, it literally means to untie and release. Yeah. Now, it came by the de- time of Christ, for about 100 years, it had always implied a pardon. So what we do, we untie the person we release them from any responsibility to us. Yes. And we don't look to them for justice. We look to God, but we don't forgive them because they deserve it or because they've repented. There's only one reason we forgive is that we have been forgiven for a much greater sin for us to fail, to love God with all our hearts, mind, mind, and and soul, and strength. We fail at that one every single day. Every day we fail to do that. And that is the greatest commandment of all. Second greatest is love my neighbor as myself. I have yet to meet anybody who says, man, I did it. Today I did it. I love God with all my heart, all my strength, all my mind, all my soul. Woohoo! No. You know, I, anybody that thinks they've done it hasn't done it because there's arrogance and pride, right? It's it's almost an impossible goal apart from the Holy Spirit. But but we point our head in that direction so that loving God and pleasing God becomes a focus of our life. Not so he'll give us more. He's already given us everything. God never has to prove his love again. He's already. But we forgive because he forgave us. We see the person that can't forgive has never seen their own heart. They think a sinner is Adolf Hitler. They think a sinner is that person that killed their daughter. They don't realize that every day that I fail to love God with all my heart, my mind and soul and my neighbor as myself, I'm committing the greatest sin possible. That's why David said after he had murdered Bathsheba's husband, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, He didn't say, uh, Lord, I've sinned against Bathsheba and her husband and you. No, he said, against you, I have sinned. Why? Because those other things were merely symptoms. His true sin was he had failed to love God with all of his heart, mind, and soul. And that allowed him Mm -hmm. to fall into adultery. That allowed him to kill her husband and or having killed and but the real sin is failing to love god with all of our heart when we see our heart as it really is we can't get entrance into the mm-hmm. kingdom of god we're done we're sold slaves to sin yeah no hope paul said we were in the world having no hope no hope is no hope he says we were dead in sin I've held the hand of my father right after he died. There was no life in it. I I sobbed. I wept. I I loved holding his hand as a child. When we crossed the street and all of a sudden it was cold. There was no life. We were dead just like that in sin, having no hope. No. God in his grace and mercy through the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ. He did the impossible. That's why Christ told his disciples, he sent out 70 men in Luke 10. 
And he said, you know, you're going to go do all this and that and this and that. And then they come back and they say, Lord, even the demons were subject to your name. And he said, yeah, I know. I, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. But nonetheless, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you. Mm -hmm. But rejoice that your names <laughs> are recorded in heaven. You see, that's the greatest of all of God's miracles. He who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. There's no miracle that can even touch that. It didn't cost God anything to speak the world into existence, but it cost him everything to record my name in heaven. That's where my joy has to be. I forgive because of this, because God's forgiven me. Yes. How dare I not forgive? And that's the parable Jesus gives. So you'll see all this in the chapter on forgiveness. Yes. You'll see we forgive because of him, not because of the perpetrator. I'm so grateful that you just shared all of that because forgiveness is the main subject of my entire ministry is about forgiveness only because I, that's what I walked through. I walked through all of those things and walking through forgiveness. I was at a weekend healing retreat and somebody said to me, have you forgiven your ex-husband? Now I've been divorced about 15 years mm. and maybe 10 at the time. And I said, well, I've already forgiven his parents. And I didn't. And then about five minutes later, somebody came up and said, uh, have you forgiven your ex-husband? And I said, I've already forgiven his parents. And the second time I said that, I heard myself. Mm. And as they gave us the tools on how to do this and because I thought I was in church, I was growing spiritually I thought I knew about forgiveness. And it wasn't until I got the tools and I'm driving home that night and, and I'm telling you, it's like, I thought, well, cause I was at that place of why should I forgive him? How people do, you know, I'm mad. He did this to me. And I just was screaming out. I was, it was like, it was just like the, the devil was coming out of my mouth. I was so, you know, all the anger and I was forgiven him for everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like he says, name every offense to release you of those feelings. Here, not to correct you, but okay. you just said the wrong word. Okay. You said the word feelings. Okay. <laughs> okay. We okay. don't forgive because we finally feel like feel it. Like, oh, right. Did I say okay. that? <laughs> yes. I was getting rid of those feelings. They were all coming up. It's not about feelings. This yeah. is the good news. Yeah. It's releasing. It's untying. It's mm -hmm. being able to look them in the eye and saying, I pardon you. I don't yeah. expect any, anything from you. You never have to do another yeah. thing to gain my forgiveness. I forgive you because Jesus Christ miraculously has forgiven me. Yeah. That's why I forgive. That's why I untie. I pardon. Now, if they've abused you or a child, then they have, you can't forgive them for the states. So you can forgive their debt toward you. Yes. But only the state can forgive their debt toward your child, toward society. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they, 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 if they go to jail, they go to jail, Yeah. but you can untie them Yes. From responsibility to you, 
not because of anything they've done, not yeah. because you feel better, but because Christ mm -hmm. has forgiven you. That's the parable of the man, the servant who was forgiven this multi-billion dollar debt and then wouldn't forgive another servant a few thousand dollars. Right. Okay. And <laughs> God's forgiven us the impossible debt. It would be impossible for a servant to pay back a billion dollar debt. It's impossible for us yeah. to pay back the debt of our sin. But Christ paid it and forgave us. So when Jesus said after the Lord's prayer, therefore forgive or you won't be forgiven. That's not a joke. He wasn't just, hey, that sounds like a nice little platitude. You forgive, my father will forgive you. You don't forgive, he won't. No, guess what? If you can't forgive, you have never entered into the reality of your own spiritual death and hopelessness sure. and what God did to make your salvation possible. Because when, I'm just telling you, I was with a man the other day. He's uh, just turned 80. He has 11 kids, 68 grandchildren. He said, you know, the one thing I never have a problem with? I said, what's that, Tom? He said, forgiveness. I never have a problem forgiving anybody for anything. And he said, you know why? And I said, yeah, I know why. You've entered into the reality of how much God's forgiven you. And he goes, that's right. So if you have a problem forgiving, your real problem is you don't know how hopeless your situation was. Read Ephesians 2. And you don't know the miracle of God's atonement with his son and the miracle of your forgiveness. He forgave you the trillion-dollar debt. And how dare us not forgive the $100 debt that somebody else enacts toward us? See, that changes everything. And that's yeah. basically the message of that chapter on forgiveness in uh, the Joseph Principles. Well, I can't wait to get to that chapter because I've got, like I said in my book, and probably with, with the feeling things, that was that was about 11 years ago. So I've come a long way since then. So maybe I just threw the feeling word up, but I get it. And I'm glad but, that you explained that. I mean, yeah, and I'm not saying that you had that situation in your heart where oh, I'm not okay. questioning your forgive that you forgave. I'm saying we got to get out of that mentality yeah. of feelings. Christ doesn't address feelings when it comes to forgiveness. When it comes to grief, you'll see there's a, a chapter, chapter 11 on grief. Um, how I, I've had an unintended, unsought out ministry with people who've lost children. That's the highest form of grief a person can experience. There is no higher form of grief. The answer isn't, let's see what we can do to make them feel better. The answer is letting them see that grief has hijacked their heart, their soul, their spirit, and has bound them up. And grief has become the master of their life. And Christ said, no man can serve two masters. He'll love the one and hate the other. So what I teach people in, in my ministry and in that chapter is how we take grief off the throne of our heart not once and for all for life, but in the moment we're in. 
Do you realize we're only responsible to God for the moment we're in? This was such a great conversation that we had to break it up into two podcasts. So I hope we'll see you back for part two on October 12th of Activate God's Power in Your Life. Well, thanks everyone for joining us again. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Erica C. Meyer Williamson. And please subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any of the amazing stories that could open your eyes and seeing God in a whole new light and bring hope and healing to your life. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, please email me at ericaseemeyer at gmail.com and share a little of your story. If you have enjoyed these podcasts and would like to be one of our awesome supporters, please click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up for monthly support or a one-time donation. We thank you all for your generous support. And last but not least, we would be so honored if you would write a good review, subscribe to the show, and share this podcast on your social media. We'll see you back here next time on Amazing Grace Talk.